Welcome back to another Cardinals Off Day podcast. The Cardinals are 63-60 and 60 on pace to win 83 games this season. Ben, we're back after uh, another week away. How are you doing? Uh, well, I feel great. The Cardinals have managed to salvage two non-sweeps uh, in a row, going one and two and one and two against the first place Brewers and the last place Pirates. Um, and I had kind of a snide tweet about this that I'm glad the Cardinals didn't beat around the bush after playing the Brewers pretty competitively. You know, I, th- I think they had a couple of uh you know, and people will probably quibble with this, but I thought the first two games of that series were kind of toss-up games where they they oh, yeah. those games could have broken one way or the other if things go a little bit differently. And then in the third game, they they came out and they meant business, and uh, you know they played them tough, and then they had the breakout inning, and and it was a very good baseball game, and it was really the type of win that makes you believe that momentum might be possible in baseball. And then, of mm-hmm. course, they come out as flat uh, as they could be, like no big hits against the Pirates. And then suddenly they're losers of, of you know, four out of six. And, you know, looking every bit the team that they they were just kind of mediocre. Rather than finding ways to win, they seem to find ways uh, to lose as often as they find ways to win. And you have a team around 500 as a result of it. And so I I think I have finally accepted their fate. Um, I think I was kind of hoping they might get two out of three from the Brewers with the way the rotation, uh, you know, they they had uh, Flaherty going and uh, they had them at home and then they were hosting the Pirates and and now they have the Tigers coming up. And I thought they might be able to slingshot themselves you know, into legitimate close contention for the wild card just with this little stretch, even with the Brewers in the middle there. Uh, and I think I have learned that my optimism or my hope was greatly misplaced um, and that this team is what they are. And, uh, you know, we should probably just accept it at this point. Well, I'm going to jump in with my what did I learn? Because I feel like I'm a, I'm a little more positive than you are coming off of this rough week, although I land at the same conclusion as you do. Um, and so last week I said I was going to be watching the the pitching matchups in particular in that Brewers series because and it ended up we didn't end up having Michaelis go in that third game as they thought we would at the time we had Lester but uh, even so it was basically the the Brewers aces versus the Cardinals you know more or less aces um, you know or you know best pitchers anyway if you want to put it that way and it was their chance to match up with the the class of their division and really probably the class of the whole National League at this point it's looking like and uh, you know see how they match up and i'll be perfectly honest i came away thinking that the cardinals matched up pretty well this version of the cardinals where uh flaherty's back you know the the pitching is pretty close to what they anticipated it was going to be at the beginning of the season uh the the outfield uh you know now we got carlson's not there but you know it's it's a more or less full strength team you're really you're seeing the kind of proof of concept of what this team could have been at this point and to be honest that brewers series uh, you know, the first game, 
it was a two nothing game. Um, you know, the Cardinals didn't really get a whole lot going, but they're facing one of the best pitchers in the league. Yeah. And you don't need to get much going to win a two nothing game, like a two nothing game. You're, you're in that game. It could easily flip. It just didn't, you know, in game two, of course they, they had the lead, the bullpen coughed it up, you know, that kind of happens. So to be honest, I came away feeling like this, this iteration of the Cardinals that we see right here can be competitive with the Brewers. The problem is that, um, you know, baseball being baseball, it's not like you, it's not the NFL, right? The good team doesn't beat the bad team most of the time. It's, it's much more of a toss up. Then they, they lost two of three to the pirates. And I don't, I don't draw much of a conclusion from that aside from just, you know, that's baseball. I think most of the time they would win two out of three from the pirates. Occasionally they would sweep the pirates, of course, but this, this happened to be the run through where they, you know, they, they lost uh, two out of the three. And so the real problem is that, well, the big, the overall problem I think for the season is of course, that they didn't have nearly enough depth built into this team. So they, they haven't been this sort of full strength version of the team for very much of the season. But on top of that, even if they're that full strength version now, and even if they remain that full strength version for the rest of the season, I just don't think there's enough games left for them to get back into this. So that's kind of what I feel like I learned this week. Yeah, I I think that we're not far apart in our assessments. I think it's the problem is they've dug themselves this hole and it's they they have to dig out. They can't dig deeper (laughs) and so this week they dug deeper you know they went uh and they lost two series they you know they went two and four at home no less and so i i think that is where you know they've kind of seemingly been you know almost treading water in quicksand since you know june and Mm -hmm. Uh, and after digging themselves that hole when Flaherty went down and now they looked like they might be able to get themselves out of it, but it just feels like with the September schedule looming, Mm -hmm. they needed to do something, continue to do positive things this week and, and hope for the best moving into September. Um, And I, they just, they didn't get it done. And at the end of the day, I, I am definitely, especially more with age of a that's baseball mindset. But if we're looking at the postseason, it, it, it is baseball. But the problem is that we've just had so much of uh, the hole that was dug that they have to overcome now that they can't really afford many series where that's baseball. They have to right. find a way uh, to scratch out some wins. Um, you know, and when Adam Wainwright, you know, that game one, you know, I was just sitting there of that Brewers series and I was like, they have to find a way to steal this game. Like Adam Wainwright allowing that many base runners and only giving up two runs. Like if you want to make the postseason, you have to find a way to steal this game. Then they didn't. The next Mm -hmm. night they found a way to allow the Brewers <laughs> to steal a yeah. game from them. And I was just like, you know, I, I just, I, I'm going to enjoy the rest of the season cause I enjoy baseball and it's Mike Shannon's last draw and all that. But you know, that one, two punch for me was really, 
everyone who's listening is probably like, well, welcome to the party, Ben. Uh, we've all recognized this for weeks now. Uh, but that was the one where I was like, you know, if they couldn't steal the first game and they're going to give away the second one, I just I don't see a run in the cards for these cards. Yeah, it's no, it's uh, it's not looking real, real likely by any means. I'm certainly not, um, you know, planning on it. Uh, that said, uh, you know, the San Diego Padres have collapsed. Yes. So, uh, it's that that, uh, you know, wild card lead, which could have been, you know, building up on them, um, you know, hasn't really been building up on them. And so they were they were three and a half back. They're at uh, four and a half back right now, which with one month to go, that's that's really tough. But it's you know, it's close enough that, you know, people will watch the games and, and you know, we'll we'll see what happens. But uh, was there anything else that you learned or should we dive into our uh, our breaking news? Uh, well, uh, I, I think some of our topics are going to cover some of the other things that we may have learned um, or that I may have learned. So uh, I am more than ready to dive into the topics for this Cardinals off day. Yeah, well, and, uh, you know, as we record this podcast, uh, just only right before off days, of course, it's an erratic schedule. So we don't have a lot of breaking news on the show, but uh, we did just today anyway, the day that we're recording it before the off day, uh, found out that uh, uh, KK was coming off of the disabled list and in a fairly big surprise moving into the bullpen um, was the announcement and uh, that uh, and also much lesser news, but uh, apparently Dakota Hudson is going to be going out on a, uh, a rehab assignment starting as soon as this week. And they expect him to get a little bit of time in the bullpen as well. So uh, we were already kind of wanting to talk about bullpen usage today, and we've got some breaking news on it. Um, one question we had come in that I think is a good place to kind of kick things off came in from Nathan Ritter. And his question is, he says, is the marginal value of Kim in the bullpen for, let's say, an extra 10 days worth his potential absence from the rotation the rest of the way? Do Schilt's bullpen management tendencies change your position as compared to a more forward thinking manager? So I think that's a great place to start. And I guess we should say, just in case anyone didn't see, part of the explanation that was given for Kim moving to the bullpen was that they felt he would have to do at least one more uh, rehab start in order to go into the rotation. And so it's basically that idea of let's utilize his innings in the major leagues sooner. So, uh, Ben, what do you say to Nathan's question there and just this kind of whole idea? Well, there are two ways you can look at it. And, uh, one is, and the way that I usually look at this question is I want the better pitcher in the rotation because the team gets more innings from that pitcher and more higher quality innings are usually better than fewer higher quality innings and in particular with Kim I think this would hold up even more because it's not like a Carlos Martinez where he's going to go into the bullpen throw 98 miles an hour and be one of the 10 best relievers in the league down the stretch for the team Right. You know, in 2019, right. the Cardinals don't win the division without Carlos Martinez. You may not realize that reading St. Louis establishment media, but it's true. And it's an undeniable yeah. fact. And Kim is not that type of an impact reliever, even though he started last season as the closer. Um, right. However, uh, Schilt is doing his best Mike Matheny impression this year, you know, grinding Gallegos, uh, Cabrera, and Reyes into dust. 
And so if he does have another pitcher that he feels comfortable using, he might be less likely to grind their arms into fine dust. It might just be a little bit grainier and they might be able to recover and pitch next year, uh, which might factor into things. Also, uh, they just lost Helsley and we don't know for how long. Uh, but it would not be hard to squint and see them go to Kim kind of in, in that bridge role between the fifth or sixth inning and the big three that he likes to go to uh, there in the later innings. And so I think it kind of makes sense because the bullpen has been such a weak spot. Um, and they've also brought in two like name brand veterans uh, replete with their proviness and the respect units do them in Lester and Hap. And so also I think this kind of clearly indicates the Cardinals are not bringing Kim back for the rotation next year. That seems very unlikely to me after this move. So given all those, so. yeah, given all those things, um, I, you know, like I'm okay with it. Uh, you know, I hate watching John Lester with his red cheeks and red caps sweat his way as he nibbles around the corners. Cause he has nothing left. Um, it's very frustrating. Now, now, now as, a, as a sweaty red faced American myself, I take a little bit of umbrage <laughs> at that, but I, I understand your point about watching John Lester. Pitch. I, I, you know, but it's something about a guy who has nothing left, who looks the way that Lester does while he has nothing left. <laughs> it's just like Ryan Franklin. They're kind of similarly complected. Uh, you know, oh, kind of red faced, nothing left. Throw Give me a trigger warning before you bring up Ryan Franklin. <laughs> but it is, it's just like watching him throw balls an inch off the outside corner and, and pretend like he's exasperated at not getting the calls because he knows he has to get the call because he can't throw the ball over the plate or he's going to get, you know, rocked, yeah. just absolutely yeah. shelled. And so, uh, let me be perfectly clear to the listeners. Uh, you know, I don't want to watch John Lester start much more. I hope he figures something out. Um, but he he seems to just have gone full on nibbling. And his stats bear this out. Like he hasn't been good for a while now. And well, and this year the walks are going up because he can't throw the ball over the plate or he's going to get shelled. Yeah. Well, and uh, I mean, as long as we're kind of leaning into the rotation side of this too, you know, Hap has had good results but his underlying uh, numbers are not better with St. Louis. They're actually, if anything, worse. So uh, I think Kim is clearly a better starter than Hap or Lester. So, you know, my initial reaction is I'm kind of put off by it because I, I agree with you. I think Kim is a better pitcher. I would rather see Kim in the rotation. Um, you know, that said, I do like this idea and it's come up before and Carlos Martinez is, is the most kind of notable example, I think, but the idea that especially late in the season, you've got a pitcher coming back, um, essentially having them throw those rehab innings in the major leagues. So you're, you're getting all of that value as opposed to going down. So I like that. Um, but I, I, and I actually think there's a way to, to be honest, if I feel like if, if it was me, if I could make the choice on this, I might start, uh, Kim in the bullpen, essentially to kind of get those final rehab starts, but with the plan to transition him back into the rotation, you know, maybe, uh, you know, uh, you know, maybe two more kind of rotations through or something. I think that would be ideal, but, you know, in Nathan's question, he mentions, you know, basically 
do Schilt's bullpen management tendencies um, change your position as compared to a more forward thinking manager? I think that's the issue we're dealing with here. And actually, uh, Jason Hill uh, from VEB kind of similarly asked, you know, will Schilt ever consider using an opener? Seems like a good role for recovering arms like KK and Michaelis. And, and to me, that's the I guess that's the crux of my take on this whole thing is that I think bringing Kim back early to the majors and letting him maybe start in the, in sort of a bullpen role, I think it's a good idea. But it's a good idea if you have a manager who's creative with how he uses pitchers and how he mixes them together. And I hate to always call back to the Rays on this, but this is the kind of thing that the Rays would do and uh, and do really expertly. Um, and actually, Jeff Jones today in his reporting on this quoted Schilt as saying that the Cardinals feel their rotation has stabilized. And that, to me, gets to what's become my sort of central frustration with Schilt in terms of bullpen usage and really just kind of broadly in terms of how he uses the team. It's this idea of guys and roles. And so but yep. we can't put we can't put Kim into the rotation because there's guys there now, you know, that's these other guys are there. (laughs) We have five starters who have years of experience starting in the majors. We cannot possibly uh, disrupt the apple cart and do something different with those guys. Yeah. Now the other thing that we haven't mentioned is, so if let's say you were going to put Kim into the rotation, you're going to take somebody out and Lester's clearly that person you're going to take out. And I, I don't think you can move John Lester into the bullpen. I don't think John Lester would let you move him into the bullpen. Um, so, th- you know, there could be just some acknowledgement of that and that, you know, yeah, this, um, you know, very handsome, sweaty, red-faced gentleman is not going to want to move into the bullpen. Whereas, you know, Kim, who seems just like a lovely person, will say, you know, boy, I'd rather start, but I'll do whatever's best for the team. So who knows? Maybe that's a... a aspect of this as well well that's a very good point it's not hard to imagine proven veteran uh john lester refusing uh, a role other than starter um and kim was signed as a swing man and started in the bullpen last year before uh right. moving into the rotation so it is easier to envision the path of least resistance and maintaining the depth that they have uh yeah. being putting kim in the bullpen the other no, thing is it might free Schilt up to have a quicker hook uh with yeah. lester you know well and that's see and that's the other thing that i could really see happening with this is you know Schilt more or less having kim penciled in as the the piggyback for lester and you know the idea is we're gonna let lester go you know once at most twice through the you know through the lineup and then we're going to go to kim probably for basically the same you know kind of once or twice through and between those two you know maybe they get through six innings and honestly that would be a good i mean you know again that's a little bit of a creative non-traditional role but i think that would be a great use for for kim and not even to have him just penciled in to to officially piggyback with lester but just have him available you know for hap or whoever else you know if you've got a, a starter flagging um you know, Kim definitely is a guy who, you know, once or twice through the rotation or through the uh, through the lineup, I think you can trust. Yeah, uh, it, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think you will see him at least initially slide into the Helsley role, though, because Schilt yeah. is, is nothing if not unimaginative. Uh, yeah. You know, he has his George Kissel journal. Um, and he follows the gospel of Kissel seemingly very closely. 
Um, and more and more that looks like Mike Matheny. Uh, it does. Know. It does. And that's where, and I, I feel like, and I, I guess I'd have to go back and look at game logs and stuff from early on, because I definitely felt in the early couple of years of Schilt that that was not the case that he was different. I mean, not, not to say that he was a completely, you know, creative free thinking, you know, guy, but I did feel like, um, he would adapt a lot more with how he used his bullpen. You're right. As opposed to Matheny, who, who just absolutely, he had, this is my sixth inning guy. This is my seventh inning guy. This is my, you know, et cetera. And so anytime he lost one of those guys, somebody new had to become that go into that exact role. And I think you're right. I mean, I was, I've been focused on what I think they should do, but I think you're hundred percent right. Even though Kim is a guy who's been a starting pitcher, his entire career, his whole, I mean, his stuff is really centered around being a starting pitcher. He's not really designed to be a relief pitcher, but I think you're exactly right. I think he's going to be coming in in the, you know, sixth and seventh innings um, and, and just throwing one inning because if he comes in, he throws, you know, a clean inning in the seventh inning. Well, then it's the, eighth inning and that's now it's Gallego's time we have to you know we got to go yeah but but the other thing is is that he's already stretched out to 35 pitches and so maybe yeah. he is the two inning guy maybe right. that's his role or the three the, inning the, guy the elusive two inning guy that the cardinals have suggested they might use for years reyes was maybe going to be a two inning guy remember and helsley was going to be a two inning guy and cabrera i think too yeah, i mean yeah. all these guys who they you know, basically had been starters. They pulled up, you know, into the uh, into the bullpen. That's always the hey, this guy could be a multi inning guy, and I it has never happened. It has never ever materialized. Um, now that said, and I guess just focusing more on Schilt's bullpen usage in general, I so I did a little bit of looking today because I I, I have the same gut instinct reaction to you that he's he's grinding the guys at the back of the pen into dust in a yes. very Matheny-esque way. I absolutely have that. But on the other side of that, I just don't think he had any other options at See, all. See, and that's, that's an excellent point because the bullpen was just total garbage on fire. It's a dumpster fire. And- I, have a statistic, I have a statistic, Ben, for you, just to throw this in real quick. The Cardinals' bullpen this year, this is per Fangraphs, um, has, has – uh, created 2.4 wins above replacement 2.3 of those have come from Gallegos and Cabrera alone okay uh, now there's other guys that are positive Reyes is positive there's a couple other guys that are positive there's a lot of negative guys that are pulling that down too but when you get down from there Luis Garcia 0.4 Alex Reyes 0.3 Ryan Helsley 0.3 TJ McFarland 0.1 Everyone else rounds to zero. And, and, and how, you notice McFarland and Garcia, yes. those are like the guys they just picked up in the last <laughs> I, few weeks. I was going to say, and how long have Garcia and McFarland each been on the team? I can't remember their exact sign dates, but yeah. uh, and, and Garcia looks promising. Uh, you yes. know, he's a guy where, you know, stats versus scouting, you watch him on the hill, he looks good. Um, yep. And McFarland. Uh, has been pretty solid as well. And so, I mean, I think you make a very good point. Uh, they they have made a living in the Cardinals front office of defining up replacement level for the organization with depth and the yeah. way they can develop pitching in particular. And I think... You know, it's it's not all dating back to those lost draft picks, but I or the loss, the punishment for the Astros hack. 
you know, they kind of lost their ability to get that fast moving college arm that they love to get early. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, it's, it feels like maybe last year with the weird COVID stuff, they also were just, I, you know, in a very difficult spot. And mm-hmm. I actually think Schilt did very, probably his best managing job in 2020 with the gauntlet they had to run and and the way they had to overcome the issues they had. But, um, but it, it's, uh, it's a very interesting thing to look at how bad the replacements, not even just the replacements, really the first line and how badly they underperformed because I think we were, in line with most of the people who are commenting that thought the bullpen would be a strength and it was not at all. And then they tried to fill it from within and it just got worse. Yeah. 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 And and we thought it was going to be a strength, not necessarily based on specific names, but just because it always has been. And just because they've always had that organizational depth. So I'm, I'm speaking for I think I'm speaking for both of us, but I'm definitely speaking for me. You know, I just assumed that, you know, these these guys, you know, the Junior Fernandez's and the Cody Whitley's and the Seth Elledge's. And I, I just assumed that you know, not every one of those guys was going to hit, but, you know, they were going to find a few, you know, TJ McFarland's and Luis Garcia's in there and it was going to happen. And they really found none of that at all. And even guys who, you know, I mean, look, I mean, Andrew Miller has been terrible as a Cardinal. Andrew Miller has just been, been terrible. He's been sub replacement level, um, you know, this season again, um, but you know, just th- those guys that they had just haven't, you know, done anything. I mean, Daniel Ponce de Leon has been terrible. I did, I did think Daniel Ponce de Leon was a good pitcher coming in, but he's somebody I could have seen being like a, you know, slightly above replacement level, you know, as a, as a bullpen guy and they didn't have any of that. And so, and then even when they mercifully ended the John Gant as a starter experiment, uh, yeah. even though folks at home who are longtime listeners know, I was very disappointed uh, because we were denied the opportunity to see if he could have the highest walk rate for a, quali- a starter who qualifies for the ERA title since Todd Van Poppel in 1994. But nonetheless, they mercifully ended that experiment and moved Gant back to the bullpen, and he was hot garbage. Whereas he used to be like an average-ish, like, okay right-handed reliever, um, who at times would be very good for you know, a, a little while. And then he would have times where he was very terrible. Um, he, so he's really kind of been a more of a roller coaster ride, but overall he works out to about average. And we even talked on the show. We thought, Hey, his velocity might go up. You know, he's had su- some decent success before he should be able to be a useful pitcher in the bullpen. Uh, even though he's a terrible starter and he was terrible in relief for the Cardinals. And now he's gone to the twins and has pitched pretty well. Um, So maybe that's more of an indictment of the Cardinals coaching staff than anything. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't hold my breath on the good on the twin. The twins started him uh, in his last game and he didn't make it out of the fourth. Yeah. So, So, well, that's a good point. Um, Yeah. Um, But I, so I, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is I'm, you know, I'm undecided on sort of my grade on on Schilt's bullpen use this season. I think overall, I see, I, I continue to see slipping into the Matheny um, obsessed with roles. You know, things like Alex Reyes as my closer, so he's always going to pitch the ninth inning, and I'm not going to recognize 
that even when he's met his three batter minimum, even, you know, bringing him out for a second inning as he's done a few times, you know, he has serious walk problems. And so if he's not, you know, if he's not throwing a lot of strikes that day, you you know, move to somebody else. Yeah, because when Alex Reyes is not throwing a lot of strikes for Alex Reyes, (laughs) that is, that is, so far beyond what control problems are for your normal reliever, like a Gallegos, yeah. right? Like, yeah. like Reyes throws way too many balls and walks way too many batters on a good day. Yeah. So when Alex Reyes goes out there and is having a bad day, it is so painfully obvious and painful to watch. And it even makes me feel sorry for him because I feel like he's almost being punished, being left out there by, by Schilt. And, and speaking of Schilt leaving people out there, one of the things that he does that drives me nuts is he, he loves to show trust by letting pitchers lose a game for the team. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he left, you know, he's left Gallegos in for an obscenely long amount of time. You know, they get up toward like yeah. 30 pitches and, you know, when they're done, the game is over and it's like, what did you accomplish there? You know, like, you know, Larusa, who we oftentimes compare Schilt to, you know, sometimes he would make a pitcher wear a loss, but if it were a close game, it was really, you know, once you give up the lead, maybe then you're pulled. You know, yeah. if you're the closer, but right. he, he sometimes doesn't even do that. It's like, it's all you you know, like get us out of here. And then suddenly you're down three and the game's out of reach. And that's something that he does, especially if you're going to throw them as much as you're going to throw these, these top three relievers, you can't do that. If they don't have it, you got to get them out of there and save those throws for a day when they do have it. And it just, it makes no sense to me. Uh, the way he will stay with him. And I know he doesn't really have any other options, but you can't tell me that a wild Alex Rodriguez, or excuse me, Alex Rodriguez, listen to me, Alex Reyes, (laughs) wild Alex Reyes, when he doesn't, when he can't find the strike zone is not better than a handful of other arms down there. He just isn't. And, um, and it's, it's bizarre to me how Schilt will leave those guys in long enough to not only lose the game, but lose it, in a way yeah. that it's difficult to come back and get back into the game and, and maybe steal it back, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, in that, that second game of the Brewers series, I mean, that was a great, that was a, a perfect case in point. You know, he, he had the wild pitch on a, I believe it was an O2, wasn't it? And Yachty's set up outside and Yachty has to dive across the plate to try to stab a ball that's, you know, in the left-handed batter's box and that, you know, so you have that wild pitch that scores a run frankly the error the throwing error too and i know it is always hard for pitchers and they have to make that throw to first base but you know when i saw him throw the ball way wide of uh you know goldschmidt i thought well that looks like every other ball he's throwing tonight right (laughs) so you know so it's it's we talk about this but it's it's also sometimes you you watch and i feel like even just the eye test you know you would think Schilt would be like this this guy doesn't have it tonight and i've got to do something but he just he seems very reluctant to to get in there and do that so i don't know it'll be interesting to see this could be um i mean again they're getting some guys back and if kim's going to go into the bullpen and if hudson's potentially going to go into the bullpen i mean um and again you know we mentioned uh, uh garcia and uh uh mcfarland you know have kind of shown you know it's it's 
for the first time this season, it's looking like there could be some actual useful pitchers out there. So who knows? Maybe he'll sh- maybe he'll show us now that he's got some other options. Um, you know, he'll 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 use them more. I'm I'm really doubt he'll use them more creatively. But um, anyway, I don't know. That's kind of where I'm thinking on that. Anything else we didn't touch on on the the bullpen there? You wanted to. Uh, no, I, I think we covered it all. Um, I would just say, uh, if anyone knows how to do a baseball reference search for the number of times Tony Larusa pulled Jason Isringhausen and brought in Cal Eldred after a blown save, uh, I, I would be interested in that. I, f- I feel like Cal Eldred is just the, the prototypical like middle reliever who's like fine. And, you know, it, it, I have no idea if my memory is correct, but in my right. mind, I just imagine those nights when Isringhausen didn't have it, he'd blow the save. LaRusso would go get him. It's time to bring Cal Eldred in, you know, like yeah. Cal will get us out of here. He might give up another run because Isringhausen left two runners on, but like, you know, he's going to yeah. throw strikes and probably get us out of here in one piece. Well, and Eldred, of course, was a you know former starter, a guy who had been a very good starter early in his career, and I think from injuries and some other things, you know, wasn't able to be that by the end. But yeah, definitely had that sort of you know veteran like, okay, I get it. This is what you need me to go out there and do. Also, Iowa and Cal Eldred. Let's, yes, let's yes, fellow <laughs> Iowa and Cal Eldred. There are so few of us in the majors nowadays. That's right. That's right. So, um, so the the second kind of topic we wanted to hit on today. Um, uh, the Yadier Molina extension. And this was kind of uh, uh, fairly big news last week as uh, some writers for The Athletic uh, broke the story that uh, not only were uh, Yadi and uh, the Cardinals talking about an extension, but that uh, the number uh, 9 million for a one-year deal was was kind of being being floated around. So then when you, when you heard that news, I mean, obviously we knew that Yachty wanted to come back. It was easy to assume that the Cardinals would want to see him come back in some form or another. Um, assuming, and again, with uh, Ken Rosenthal and Katie Wu reporting on this, I think it's probably pretty sound. We don't know from which camp this is coming from, but but if this is at least the kind of starting point for this, how would you feel about a one-year Yachty extension at $9 million? Uh, well, hashtag Team Yachty. Uh People who follow me on Twitter uh, are probably sick of me tweeting that. Uh, I'm at the point where if he wants to play, bring him back, give him the money. And and folks, I, I understand you want to see what Kisner has, um, but I just I don't see it there as a replacement. And um, and I I don't think the next generation Herrera uh, down in double a he's, he's not really setting the world on fire. So I don't think there's a world where the Cardinals barring injury, of course, but as part of a plan would say, Oh, we're going to have him come up say next year. I just, I think Herrera is going to be in the minors for the entire season next year. And so the question becomes, how do you bridge the gap between Yadier Molina and Herrera? And to me, the answer is Yadier Molina. Um, (laughs) So, you know, you can roll the dice and see if Kisner is going to give you, you know, an OPS over 650. uh, Or you can roll the dice and see if Yadier Molina can stay healthy enough to give you an OPS higher than that and deliver the intangibles. And that's really what you get into is what does he mean to the clubhouse and the team and the pitching staff in ways 
that advanced stats can't measure. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the things that I have long said uh, when writing or talking about baseball is that, you know, catcher defense is the last frontier. And people will say, well, yeah, that was true. But now we have, you know, we have stat cast and we can see all these and things. we have fit framing yes, and yes. incorporated into wids above replacement and all of these things. Yes. And, and that is true. But, you know, Peter Gammons back before the trade deadline had a really interesting column where he talked about, you know, you might think these catchers would be candidates to move midseason, but teams don't like to trade for a starting catcher because they haven't been involved in the game planning and all of the development around the pitching staff during the year. And I found that fascinating. Um, and it plays into what we hear about Yadi a lot, that he's very good at calling a game and uh, is very good with the pitching staff and working with the pitchers. And that's really something where you just have to take their word for it um, yeah. in a way. And, and I believe them when they say that he's very good at it uh, and that pitchers like working with him. Yeah. Well, and, and I think you're absolutely right. And I think the, that sort of intangible side of it is, is really the reason that they, they should and will bring him back. But I, I wanted to dig out some of the numbers a little bit because there's definitely, a you know, a portion of kind of Cardinals Twitter. That's, you know, the, the sort of Yachty is cooked, you know, let's, let's let go of Yachty. So I wanted to kind of put this in some context and the, the overall thing, I think it's important to remember here is that, Catchers are not good. Catchers are not good. <laughs> yes. They're not. Okay. This is one of the many reasons I don't like the designated hitter because I feel like, well, what, you know, is the catcher going to be next? Because people always say, well, I don't like to watch pitchers hit. It's like, have you watched catchers hit? Because that's, <laughs> that's not much better. All right. So, uh, so I, MLB wide, the average catcher has a 90 uh, WRC plus and a 303 Woba. Okay. Yachty has an 86 WRC plus and a 296 Woba. So he's a tick below average, uh, MLB average right now. Okay. Now keep that in mind. MLB, we're talking MLB average. We're saying half the teams are better, half the teams are worse. Okay. So that's not bad. That's not replacement level. That's not, there's a lot of guys out there that are available that are going to, the only guys that are available that are better than that are the guys in the top half of the league. Okay. So if, if you use Diotti's numbers as just as the Cardinals catching numbers, the Cardinals would rank exactly 15th in terms of WRC plus and WOBA. Okay. They actually rank 22nd in terms of WOBA. And the reason for that is Andrew Kisner has a 57 WRC plus. Okay. Which is, which is terrible. He's been absolutely terrible. Then I, I took a look at wins above replacement, which of course does incorporate defense, which we know is more of Yachty's strength, but you know, Yachty's defense is not so superlative as it once was. So it's frankly the same story here. Yachty's been at uh, He's at 0.9 wins above replacement. Um, he would rank 23rd there. So he's a little, you know, he's farther down the list. The Cardinals rank 26th because Kisner has a negative 0.7 wins above replacement. So, you know, Kisner's really pulling him down right there. So basically, the Cardinals catching position this year is um, just a little below kind of average. They're, you know, they're they're below average. They're not completely in the basement. But they're a little bit, a little bit below average. And I think that might be what you would sort of expect, you know, going into next year. Now, on the one hand, I mean, this team needs to improve. There needs to be places to improve. And I think you could look at that and say that is an area for potential improvement. And I would agree. But 
I don't know what the possibilities are there to improve that because I agree Herrera is coming, I think probably in 2023. Okay. So they're, they're not going to, you know, try to make a move for a, a Wilson Contreras type, you know, catcher who, you know, potentially could come in and be a real like, you know, plus all-star caliber number one catcher. So, well, then what are your options? If you're looking for a stopgap solution, you're not going to find a stopgap solution that's better than Yadier or Molina. They're just not, there's nobody out there. Okay. So, and, and even if you could find somebody that was about the same as Yadier or Molina, or, you know, maybe projected to be slightly better than Yadier or Molina for all those intangible reasons you mentioned for the legacy he has with the Cardinals for everything else. Why on earth would you not bring Yadier or Molina back? I think what, what the one potential thing there is I, I, to me, the, the, they're most successful next year if they get Yadi some rest and they get him some rest with a player who contributes even just a little bit. And I mean, more than the uh, you know, 57 WRC plus we're seeing out of Andrew Kisner right now. And I kind of suspect that's why we're seeing a little bit more of a timeshare that we're seeing right now is I think they're kind of test driving that. And I, I do think it's fair. People point out Kisner has, has not played like at all. So I think those numbers are probably a little unfair to him. He's been in a really difficult situation. Yes. So giving him some more regular playing time here, boy, wouldn't it be great if we saw those tick up a little bit and we saw that he could potentially be good enough to be a backup catcher. Um, but, you know, to me, that's, that's kind of the constellation that we're in uh, as I look at it. Yeah. I, I think you make a lot of good points. And the legacy, really, for me, I like watching Yadier Molina play. I like when he's on the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with Adam yeah. Wainwright. And, you know, just kind of enjoying that uh, is something that I have come to value more as a fan as I have aged. There, there was a time I've kind of come full circle. Uh, yeah. In 1996, I was uh, hashtag Team Aussie um, <laughs> because I was a kid and Tony La Russa was getting rid of my favorite shortstop and favorite player of all time, uh, who's a Hall of Famer. Uh, and now I'm, I'm hashtag Team Yachty and I'm very happy. Uh, all great players are mentally different than us. I oftentimes will describe them as crazy and I don't mean that. Uh, as a joke against people who do have legitimate. No, they're actually like diagnosable psychopaths. Yeah. 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 Like they're, they're wired differently. And so I, there's also a a part of me that appreciates uh, that dynamic uh, with Yachty, um, you know, and I just love the story where Nolan Arenado comes to spring training and he's like, I'm going to get there really early and make a good first impression, be the first person there. And he shows up at the complex and Molina's in his catching gear, taking balls in the dirt and working on blocking them, which means he's been there for how long? You know, <laughs> like yeah, Arenado, exactly. yeah. Ar- Arenado was going to be there early for Rockies uh, <laughs> spring training. <laughs> But he shows up at Cardinal spring training and Molina's got, you know, probably uh, uh, some poor coach out there shooting balls in the in the dirt with the yeah. pitching machine to him. Um, and also for the folks who think Arenado might leave, we've all heard his pitch for Yachty to stay uh, and all of his comments about how much he likes playing with him. And I think it is because Yachty is just his mindset is he's he's like a Michael Jordan type, like he is yeah. an uber competitive person. Um, and I think it, 
it wears off on people. Uh, and he also has a tremendous baseball IQ. I wouldn't be surprised if he winds up managing. And so oh, oh yeah, you also wonder about, uh, you know, how much that helps the team as well. And so yeah. um, I'm, I'm hoping they get it done and I'm hoping they get it done before the end of the year, because then I think the next domino to fall is the Adam Wainwright extension. Well, now there was a little, uh, and Ben, I'm sorry I cut you off that a little bit, but there was a nugget on the uh, the broadcast today that really bummed me out. Uh, uh, Ricky Horton mentioned that apparently Wainwright um, this season has been doing what he calls an old man walk at each ballpark they go to. Yes. And he's been walking the stadium and taking pictures. And I thought, yes. oh, that doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound good for <laughs> Coming back next year. No, he he posts them on on his Twitter account, and it it is fun because he yeah. it's the day after he pitches, is my understanding. He does. Oh, his that's work. right. Yeah, the day after that sounds right. Um, yeah. Now I could be wrong, but that's my understanding of of the walks. And I just it is such an old man. Like he and I are this the same age, right? Like basically yeah. the exact same age, and so. I just laughed when I saw he was doing that because I was like, like now with where I am in my life, this is something that I would be doing. It's just like, oh, I get to go hang out in major league ballparks. So I'm going to go do that now. You guys have yeah. fun. Uh, and I'm going to yeah. take some pictures so I can show my kids and uh, it'll be it'll be a fun time. Well, it made me it just made me nervous because it doesn't feel like it's the kind of thing you do when you're like, well, this is the second to last time I'm going to be in oh, Kansas man. City. So. Now, didn't he have the quote? Uh, where he said he's going to be pitching for some far-flung team. I can't remember the name he used. Uh, or he's going to be pitching next year, even if it's for this team, I think he said. Uh, I didn't hear that. I didn't hear so that. So I, I, I think he's coming back. And if he leads the league in innings pitched or is even second, do you think yeah. he walks away? I, I, it's hard for me to believe. And, and I mean, we've talked about this before. I, I, I thought – Frankly, for several years, he was basically cooked and we were watching the slow, you know, decline of him. And I mean, to be honest, in terms of just contribution to the club, um, I think you'd have to say Wainwright's is even more important than Yachty for coming back next year. Um, You know, I mean, Waino has just been, you know, phenomenal. And and you mentioned the the Ozzie Smith uh, awkward farewell. And I think that's something else that's important to keep in mind here is. I think the ideal thing is they both come back and, and maybe they both kind of announce, you know, Hey, this is, you know, this is the last year. And then you get that great farewell tour, but we've talked about this before that almost never happens. And even yes. if, even if Yachty by before the end of the season signs a one-year deal with the Cardinals for next year, I wouldn't be surprised if in spring trainings, there's stories about like, yep, Yachty says he wants to play two or three more seasons and they have to, pull him off the field and and they have to, you know, use Kisner to Royce Clayton him or whatever. It's just, it's, it's the way these things too often go. Unfortunately, I, he seems to have anointed in his own mind Herrera as his heir. And so you, and I agree with you. I don't think Herrera is in the majors until 2023. And I honestly believe Yadier Molina will, be the starting catcher on opening day 2023 like i don't think next year's the farewell tour yeah i mean i i think he probably thinks that too so i don't know i don't know i'm not going to stress about that too much right now um i hope 
I hope he comes back. I definitely hope Wayno comes back. If they're talking, but by, by the way, Yachty was on a one-year nine million dollar deal this year. So if that's what he signed for next year, that would be the you know the same deal. That's a small enough amount of money, and for a player with his service time and everything like that, that doesn't matter to the ball club. So hopefully, hopefully they get that done. Um, so uh, before we wrap things up here, we had a couple other questions come in. Um, uh, that we wanted to just kind of kind of hit on that they, um, they were uh, weren't related to kind of our main topics yet, but we wanted to mention them anyway. So uh, uh, Pliznak on Twitter uh, said, uh, even with Carpenter Miller coming off the books and almost certainly a Carlos Martinez buyout, how does the Michaelis contract affect the team in the coming years? And Ben, I saw that question and I thought. I need to go remind myself, what does Miles Michaelis's deal look like? And so for myself and for listeners, uh, Miles Michaelis signed a four-year, $68 million deal with the Cardinals. He's got two years left on that. So for 2022 and 2023, he's going to be paid $15.75 million per year. Um, Carlos Martinez, um, had his deal was a five-year, $51 million deal. Now, he was buying out some... Um, club some arbitration years and stuff so it's it was a little bit suppressed carlos was making 11.5 million this year next year the cardinals have club options which of course they're we know they're not going to pick up but they would have been at 17 million and 18 million dollars just for some kind of context there so ben what do you think those two years of miles michaelis and 15 almost 16 million dollars do you think that has an impact uh well i think they're it if he is healthy it's a team-friendly deal um, so I, I think it enables them to go spend elsewhere. And I think that's well, why they signed gonna, him to the extension they did. See, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to disagree with you. And I'm going to say if he's, if he's healthy and if he's good, because I don't think Miles Michaelis has pitched enough over the last couple of years that I'm, I, I don't even know if he's a good pitcher anymore. You know, I mean, this is, this is a guy who kind of washed out of the majors was good in Korea for a couple of years came over, had a great season with the Cardinals and then was kind of okay. And then has been injured. And so, yeah. you know, and he's in his thirties. So I, I mean, I, I think there's a very good chance that he is good. And and you're right that if, if he's a, you know, if he can throw 200 innings at, you know, something like league average, that's great. And that's, that's great for him. But uh, you know, I don't know if he's, I, you know, I, I mean, again, he's back now. So hopefully we'll see the rest of this season, you know, we'll see some value there. But I think that's a little up in the air. Um, but in terms of, do, I mean, do you see, I, I guess, and more back to the, the question here, do you see that affecting just that sort of overall payroll situation for the team? No, uh, they they plan these things out. Um, and he has not been so bad or such a bad fit uh, in fact, he was a good enough fit that they gave him the extension. You know, that's yeah. the thing to keep in mind. You know, they had him on that short deal. So unlike a Mike Leak or, uh, yeah. you know, a Dexter Fowler, they didn't overextend to lure him away from the free agent market with a big deal. They brought mm-hmm. him over on a club-friendly contract. Then they signed him to the extension because they felt he was a good fit. And I think that he is. And And I know he hasn't pitched, and you make a very good point. We don't know what he is anymore. Um, he has to kind of reestablish himself and yeah. show he can stay healthy. Um, yeah. But well, am I, okay. his defining characteristic is he doesn't walk batters. And, yeah. and that's part of the reason he's been successful with the Cardinals, who have a a run suppression model that leans heavily on good fielding, elite fielding. And yeah. so I think 
those that dynamic is unlikely to change. I think he's still going to throw strikes, and I think the Cardinals are still going to field the ball well. And so I think that bodes well for him. Yeah, I mean, if you and just to use, you know, if, if you think of Miles Michaelis as maybe being like a number three type starter, you know, yeah, he could still f- fall down the chain to a number four type starter and a number five type starter and still be kind of, you know, worthwhile there. Um, I, the one thing about this Michaelis deal and, and with the Carpenter deal, uh, Carpenter extension and the Goldschmidt extension, I've talked about this before. I just I think that especially over the last five years, they have been so quick to kind of extend guys and I think extend them past what the market would have, uh, you know, would have given these guys. Um, and I, I just, I don't see them getting a lot of benefit out of it. They remind me, you know, you remember that scene in the movie swingers when he goes on the, has the the first date that goes pretty well. And then he's so excited about the first date that he, he calls and leaves like eight progressively more humiliating voice messages. Cause he's so excited to like try to set up the second date. That's what these extensions feel like to me. You know, some of these extensions, it's like, I mean, I saw that number and I was like, wait a minute again, miles Michaelis, the guy who like washed out of the majors was good in Korea, came back and had one like, you know, very good year. You signed him for four years and $68 million. Like that's, it's a little surprising. So, uh, you know, I, I still think it'll work out well, but um, it concerns me that they do those deals. Well, they do a lot of that speculating. Yeah. Uh, Steven Piscotti comes to mind as well um, yeah. on that list and Paul DeYoung, quite frankly. Um, well, but, but those, you know, those uh, to me, when, when you're buying out the, the club control and arbitration years, that's more of like, putting a definitive figure on something that was a little, you know, floaty. And, and those numbers are usually so much lower too, because they were never going to be open market in those, in those years. So, um, so anyway, but yeah, I, I don't see Michaelis, um, that Michaelis contract being one that affects them in the coming years. If anything, I'd be more concerned just as we've talked about with them being so much like these guys have roles. I'd be more concerned if he, if he's not good, them saying, well, but he's he's one of our starting pitchers and just, you know, running him out there and being terrible for two years because they're paying him $15 million. I mean, yeah, um, yeah, but he's on he's on what amounts to a two-year $32 million deal. Yeah. And even though uh, DeWallet got slammed shut for 2021 uh, and they seem to have a pretty hard payroll number uh, coming into this year, which is why they cut ties with Colton Wong, I think uh, that contract is still pretty team friendly. And I, you know, it's obviously it's a part of the plan, um, but I don't think it's going to inhibit their ability to, to spend in any way, shape or form. Yeah. So the other question we got, this is from um, Newt2011 and Newt asks thoughts on Newt Bar since he's had regular playing time. Um, ben, what are your thoughts on Newt Bar? Uh you know, the thing about Newt Bar, uh, and I'm someone, I have always been a batting average on balls in play skeptic, uh, which is why I never really bought wholeheartedly into Tommy Edmund. It's also why I'm pretty skeptical, uh, or was pretty skeptical of Randy Rosarena's ability f- moving from AAA to the majors because he was a, a high batting average on balls and play guy. And that's what Newt Bar was. You know, he was up uh, 347 um, in double A and 349 in AAA, which is not abnormal for a good hitter to have a high batting average on balls and play because they're a good hitter and they hit the ball hard. Um, but when you kind of looked at 
the rest of the numbers that he was he was putting up in in triple a he wasn't hitting for a lot of power and in triple a or excuse me in double a he was not hitting for a lot of power and then in triple a he was not doing much of that either um and uh you know like it was okay power it wasn't anything where you're like oh yeah that guy's a right fielder and a and a power hitter um and so coming up he kind of looked like a fourth or fifth outfielder to me. Um, but the thing that has been heartening for me is uh, his plate approach has translated to the majors and he's continued to draw walks and uh, he's hit for a little bit more power than you might expect, but his batting average on balls and play is only 250 and his batting average has, is only 250 as well. And despite that, He's been about 14 percentage points above average so far. And so what does that all mean in my mind? I think he's got the flexibility. And, you know, right now over a small sample size, I, I'm pretty heartened of what it's going to look like because his yeah. power is probably going to go down a little bit. But I think he's going to get some more base hits on the balls in play. And that's a real nice fourth, fifth outfielder to have. Yeah, I agree. And, and, I, I, my hedge on this, you know, and the question was, you know, what, you know, how do we feel about what we're seeing? And, and of course, we, I love what we're seeing, but I thought back to other guys I loved when they first came up and Tommy Edmond and Lane Thomas and Bo Hart and Joe McEwing were all names that came to mind, you know? So um, I, I know some people are really falling in love and he seems like a, he seems like a, a, a fun uh, personality. And I mean, his name is Lars Newbar. So we all want a guy <laughs> named Lars Newbar on our team for sure. But, you know, but that, you know, it, it has been a really short amount of time there. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, you could draw, you could really draw a comparison to that first Lane Thomas season, you know, where he yeah. was very good in a short period of time. But that said, I'm, I'm exactly with you. And, and Lars Newbar, honestly, I mean, you and I aren't Kyle. We don't have our heads like deep into the minor leagues. And this is a guy who was an eighth round pick. He was, he was basically a funny name to me until really this, this season. Um, you know, he, he had so little power. He was a guy I just kind of wrote off because yeah. it's like a corner outfielder, you know, even with some other decent tools, I don't really see it. Um, but, you know, looking back over his minor leagues, you know, one thing is he was a above average hitter at every single level and he moved a level every season. And those are some, you know, those are really impressive things when you go back and look at somebody. But what really looks like it kind of turned for him was in 2020. And that was that year where he didn't play in the minor leagues and he wasn't at the alternate site. So that's a story I would love to read. I don't know if it's been published, but like, what did he do during that? Like, who was the hitting coach he worked with? Because he, his power just jumped astronomically this season. It was, it was there at AAA and then it's, it's translated into the majors as well. So, um, and you made a great point about the BABIP. I mean, that 250 is probably, that's probably a bad luck BABIP at this point. So you could actually, you know, um, anticipate that potentially moving up a little bit. He's got a 11% walk rate and uh, only a 16% strikeout rate. That's very good for this day and age. And it's, it's really durable too. That's, that's a profile that, you know, even if you're going through a bit of a dip, you're still going to be producing value. And he's been a positive value as a defender as well, both numerically and, and just with the eye test too, he made that great catch to, you know, end the game today as well. So, um, I'm uh, I, I'm excited. I think we, we've talked a lot about how they need 
they need a left-handed hitter um, and probably a left-handed hitting outfielder that can sort of spell the other, you know, the other guys out there. Um, it, I think there's reason to believe that that could be Lars Newbar. So, yeah, it could. And he's going to have to keep it, keep it going. Cause he's got a lot of people knocking at the door uh, for yep. that job coming up through the, the system. And we talked about that a couple of episodes ago, you know, the thing that you have to watch uh, with him, a high contact guy um, is similar to what you have to watch um, uh, with Tommy Edmond. Um, and, and that is you have to watch for those ground balls. Um, the, the high contact guys, they don't whiff a lot. They make a lot of contact and major league pitchers can recognize that and they can get them to chase just enough outside the zone. Um, but the thing that's heartening about Newt Bar is he does have that more professional uh, plate approach than Edmund uh, with the ability to take balls outside the zone. But you still, you kind of worry um, about him getting a case of the grounders and, you know, you, you see that a lot with the guys and he's had yeah. quite a few, um, but you've just got to uh, watch that and see what he's doing. And, yeah. and when you're watching the games uh, and, you know, at home on, on the television, you know, just have a look at that and, and say, you know, is this a ball that was just a little bit outside the zone that he's rolling over on and, if major league pitches are consistently able to get him to do that, you know, that's, that's going to be problematic for him. Um, but like, you know, he's up just about 48%, which is pretty high. And so you'd like to see with every hitter, right? Like more line drives. I, you know, when you hear launch angle and all that, depending on how hard you hit the ball, you know, your launch angle can be different things and so yeah. like with an Edmund he doesn't hit the ball hard I think he had a couple doubles against the Brewers where I you know they were basically duck snorts but with his yeah. with his speed yeah. he can turn that into a double and yeah. you know like with with Newt Bar, that's something else you need to look at is what is he doing when he's when he's spoiling pitches with his ability to make contact is he yeah is he turning them into something that can be productive or is he just rolling over? Because it's very hard for a left-handed hitter uh, to hit ground balls, uh, you know, that turn mm -hmm. into good things, especially with the, the shift on nowadays. Well, and, and this is kind of an, an old school um, kind of observation, but it's one that's still really true. And that's, let's see what this guy does after the league adjusts to him because he's in this, that was true. That's been true forever, but it's still true now because when guys are coming up, they don't have the level of scouting on them. So pitcher, pitchers don't know how to attack their whole, you know, if, if you're potentially going to have a propensity to hit ground balls, th those, those guys in the minors, a, they don't have the scouting to know how to pitch you to make you do that. And B, they're not good enough pitchers to hit that, you know, hit that spot, do that thing, attack you in the way that's going to make you do that. So that's something we can see sometimes with these guys, too, is if there is a hole there, you know, major leaguers can just poke that hole constantly. And so um, so there's always that kind of you can come up and be really strong. They're going to adjust to you. And a lot of times I feel like it's that when the player adjusts back, that's when you're really like, OK, this is this is like a guy now so um 
my uh, my dog is going uh, nuts back there. Apologies for that. So Ben, I'm gonna ask you what you are looking for while I go see what's up with my dog. All right. Uh, well, what I am looking for uh, coming up is I'm looking to see how the starting rotation uh, can continue to perform because I think that is going to be the most important factor down the stretch. Uh, they have two games against Detroit, then they go to Pittsburgh for four, and after that, the gauntlet begins. They're they're at Cincinnati uh, for a three-game set, then they're at Milwaukee, then they host the Dodgers, then they host the Reds, then they host the Mets, the Padres, Brewers, Cubs, and Brewers again, and so... I think we need to see what we're going to get from Michaelis and from Flaherty and also Hap, who I think to his credit has bought into the pitch to contact approach in St. Louis. He's dropped his walk rate uh, a little bit um, and seems to be putting his hands uh, himself in the hands of the Cardinals defense. And so are they going to be able to get their starters to go into the sixth or seventh inning uh, who are not named Adam Wainwright? You know, and I think that's an open question with Flaherty coming back from injury, Michaelis coming back from injury, and Lester and Hap in the twilight of their careers. Can they be those guys and help bridge the gap to the late inning relievers and make bullpen usage easier for Mike Schilt? Um, so that's what I'm going to be watching really is, is how many quality innings they can get from this uh, rotation. Well, we don't plan this out ahead of time, but that actually sets me up perfectly because what I'm going to be watching for is how uh, Mike Schilt manages that bullpen. And this really just harkens back to that kind of first topic we talked about today, the big addition being Kim out there, but just some of the other names that are floating out there, you know, Hudson's not going to be there before our next off day, but, um, you know, now that he's got a few more potential weapons out there, can is he going to be a little bit more creative you know now that frankly a guy like luis garcia looks like a guy who could come in there in a, in a high leverage situation is there going to be a time where he goes to garcia instead of reyes or if reyes is struggling he goes to to a garcia or something like that just are we going to see some more creativity there i'm really going to be looking at the choices he makes because I definitely I'm grading him on a curve because I think he's had just no options, <laughs> you know, so far this year, but he has options now. So if when he has options, he's still so locked into roles and he's so inflexible and he's still grinding the same guys into dust, that's going to start telling me something really, uh, you know, specific about about Mike Schell. So that's what I'm going to be looking for. Ben, before we wrap up, uh, do you have a, an off day recommendation? Well, uh, we are recording this uh, on the evening of August 22nd, 2021. Uh, the off day is August 23rd, 2021. Um, and so I remembered a Joe Poznanski uh, post from October 29th, 2011. Why would uh, an August 20-something date make me think of an October 2011 post. Uh, well, the post is called The Cardinals Will Win the World Series, and Joe uh, wrote it after they won the World Series with the date of his byline, August 24th, 2011. Um, and I'll read the beginning of the post to you, uh, and I think you'll see why it's fun. It's particularly fun because the Cardinals are in a not a dissimilar position now, uh, but here's the beginning of it. 
Well, this one was easy. Every Los Angeles regular got a hit in a 13-hit attack, and Juan Rivera drove in three as the Dodgers beat the Cardinals 9-4 to Wednesday to complete a three-game sweep. It was the Dodgers' first three-game sweep in St. Louis in 18 years. The loss dropped the Cardinals to 69-64 and 64, and 10 games behind Milwaukee in the National League Central race. They are also 10.5 games behind Atlanta in the chase for the wild card. Despite this, the Cardinals will win the World Series. And then the whole post is just bringing up all of these facts about the, the way the 2011 season has gone up until that point. And it's it's just a really fun uh, post. And I do. I, I reread it every year on August 24th. I have an appointment for myself uh, to do it because I always get such a kick out of it because it's such a great idea for how to construct uh, a piece of writing about a team uh, with 2020 hindsight after they have accomplished the amazing run. Um, and I feel like I've been a little bit negative here today about their chances. So bringing this post, which will brighten your day because it reminds you of all the things that went wrong before they went so right in 2011. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't know that I've actually read that specific post, Ben. I'm going to have to, I will read that. I will read that on my uh, on my off day. Um, so my off day recommendation is uh, Carlos Martinez's uh, Instagram account. And uh, I don't know. Now, I'm not a person who follows athletes on like Twitter or Instagram. I follow almost none um, because uh, I love watching them play sports, but they're often very dull people. Um, politically, they often do not align with me. Basically, it's better if I watch them perform on the field and I don't, you know, don't get into a whole lot of, of the rest of it. But Carlos Martinez is a real exception. His Instagram account is, I think, one of the finest pieces of performance art probably in the last decade. Um, it's just, uh, it's just, it's, it's bizarre. It's, it has, one of the things I love the most about it is, he posts things and, you know, most people we post like, like if I, if I take my kids to, uh, you know, an amusement park that evening, I might post a picture of my kids at the amusement park. Cause it's like, that's what happened today. Uh, this morning I woke up and Carlos Martinez had posted, uh, several pictures of like him at a beach with a couple other people. And they were kind of odd pictures too. You know, he's sort of looking off. It's not like, like it's not quite candid. It's not quite posed. <laughs> you know what I yes. mean? It's just, and, and, but it's also, you, you look at, and there was a point, I have to be honest, and he's done this to me several times. There was a point in the last few weeks where he was posting some of these. And I started thinking like, is he not with the team right now? I mean, I know he's, he's basically done for the season with his injury. So I was like, did he leave the team? Is he like, where, you know, where is he? Cause he's posting pictures from these tropical locales and stuff. No, he's with the team. I saw him in the dugout today. He's, these are just other pictures. My favorite moment was from a few years ago during the off season, he was posting pictures of and videos of him like working out um, during the off season, but he was geotagging them in like, I don't remember, was it Qatar or the United Arab yeah. Emirates? It was yeah. somewhere, it was somewhere on the Saudi peninsula. <laughs> and so like, and he did it consistently for a while. And it was like, did he find some like trainer there that he's there working out with? No, he, it's just, it's all part of the just crazy illusion that is Carlos Martinez's Instagram account. So, uh, I love it. I love it. It's not going to be everybody's uh, everybody's bag, but Carlos isn't everybody's bag. But I find it very entertaining. I can tell you, um, 
even I, I, I've resigned myself to the fact that the Cardinals will not be bringing him back. And I understand all the reasons for that. I will continue to follow yes. Carlos Martinez's Instagram account because it is highly entertaining. I, I began following it. I think it was his Instagram account anyway, when he and Michael Waka made the all-star game and sang together on it with uh, Carlos, like holding his phone, like for a selfie. And now, like, was, this the, was this the first? Oos? Yes. Yes. When he sang and he, and Michael Waka, I, their odd couple shtick, yeah. but they seem to yeah. be just genuinely friends. Like it's a, yeah. like a warm, like, uh, yeah. cordial relationship. And that's when I started and it's just gotten weirder. It's like Carlos, it, it I, I don't know. He's like Orson Welles with cinema. It's like, Oh, I can do all of this. And like, I feel right. like Carlos yeah. Martinez uses his Instagram, uses the things that you can do with Instagram more than yes. anyone else. Like it's right. it, his it, Instagram know. is like F for fake. It is yeah. uh, like yes. challenging the bounds of the form. Yes. <laughs> like everything about it, uh, it, and it's it's really enjoyable, and uh, I will continue to follow it. And I'm gonna miss Carlos uh, not being on the Cardinals, um, in part because yeah. of the Cardinals tie-ins that are sometimes featured in the Instagram. Uh, yeah, and well, and you reminded me of uh, you're right. The odd couple relationship with Michael Walker was great. On the plus side, I think we'll probably see that continued when when Carlos signs with the Rays next season, and they're both there making <laughs> you know next to nothing yes. and creating uh, you know tremendous amount of value because the the Rays find the right way to deploy both of them. So, um, <laughs> all righty. Anyway, uh, Ben, anything else before we uh, wrap this one up? Uh, no, I've you know they've they've still got a week left of games against not great teams, uh, and hopefully they're able to capitalize on this, uh, and you know make things close uh, as they enter the series against the Reds, which could be a very very big se- series. Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, we're kind of we're coming to the end of our real regular month of August here, where we had sh- uh, shows every Monday. Um, they uh, uh, they do play next Monday, but they're off uh, next. Th- or- a week from Thursday. So we'll be about a week and a half. We will be back with you on another Cardinals off day. See you then.